Welcome to 100 PM, episode 32. You're listening to 100 PM, the show where we're interviewing 100 expert product people from startups to enterprise and everything in between to bring you all the actionable advice you need to succeed in product management. Today's guest is Lisa Dyer from IBM in Chicago. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com, the web's fastest growing resource for product management topics, recommended resources, and online learning. I'm Susanna Bate, product coach, startup mentor, and host of today's show. Let's dive right in and say hello to Lisa Dyer. Uh, my name is Lisa Dyer. I work at IBM. And I currently run IBM's Associate Product Manager Program. Associate Product Manager Program. I'm excited to dive into whatever that means. So many acronyms. <laughs> yeah. IBM, is it APM? APM, is that? yeah. Yeah, exactly. I say product management is nothing if not just a whole series of acronyms for things that we spend our careers learning. Oh, for sure. And there's like a Slack bot for that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about your particular path into product management because, well, frankly, we ask all of our guests about this. From what I can glean, uh, well, you, you did study some computer science. You have some kind of engineering, engineering management background. How did you go from the beginning to being the head of APM at IBM? When I was growing up and looking around uh, what college degree I wanted, you know, I was having some trouble figuring that out because uh, nothing around me really looked like what I wanted to do, which was give me a degree in everything. <laughs> I wanted to do everything. <laughs> and um, I ended up uh, going to a liberal arts college where I studied international communications. So I basically took articles and translated them into multiple different languages, Finnish, Swedish, what have you and wrote articles in different languages and there was a huge variety of things that I could learn about. And so that was the closest to me as like the degree and everything. Then I got a little bit fascinated by computer science because first of all, it's logical. Um, it deals with solving problems and I'm a maker at heart. So I took a course, a, a few studies in um, a language called Snowball, which now probably doesn't exist anymore. It was a kind of an early intelligence, um, early, early artificial intelligence language. Okay, so then I decided at some point, this isn't enough. I want to do something different. Uh, I want to get more into the design aspect of things. So I took product design, industrial design degree. And then coming out of that, I started looking around, well, wh where could I apply this to? You know, I, I know a lot about stuff a little bit. Uh, I can design products. I love making products. I love finding problems and, and figuring out solutions for them. So what can I do with this? So I joined a series of, of startups. Uh, I was growing up in Finland at this time. And a American company who was dealing with supply chain software uh, bought a company in Finland. It was a tiny little company, 40 people or so. And they were doing some e-commerce stuff. And I joined that company and then um, came over to America, uh, to, to Austin, Texas, to integrate with the team. I then found again that I needed some variety. So I went into a couple of different startups and these would be the 12 people uh, at a CEO kitchen table kind of startups, okay. you know, doing things like predictive analytics, you know, application management, you know, all these kinds of things, primarily technical. Uh, but then I started uh, getting interested in how can we make these products better because my team was developing content around the products and how to use them. So we were basically doing technical documentation uh, for our users and some pre-sales uh, documentation as well. And I started kind of focusing on the product itself and why do we have to spend all this money uh, creating all this basic documentation when we could improve the product itself and make it more intuitive and then focus our content on higher value things. Right. Um, so that was kind of my first path to product. Then I joined a company called Lombardi Software in Austin, Texas. It was a business process management company. I was like number 
50 or number 40 uh, at the time. And while I was there, I think six years or so, we grew to about 250, 280 people. This is where I really had an awakening as a product manager. I found myself building platforms for our clients, our users, our partners, our own services folks and our support folks um, to co-create solutions together. That, that wasn't something that was happening, so I built a platform to enable that. And there was a very pivotal moment when I understood I'm a product manager. A friend of mine, John Reynolds, uh, at the company, he had moved from uh, services to a product manager role. And he walks by my office one day uh, after I'd launched this platform, and it was successful. And he, he pokes his head into my office and he says, hey, why aren't you on the product management team? And I'm like, do you really think I'm a product manager? And he, and he goes, duh, or <laughs> you know, words to that effect. Right. <laughs> and that really clicked. Everything that I had been doing up until now, I now had a name for it. Did you know what product management was in that moment? Like, was your was your sort of hesitation? I don't know if I'm good enough to be a product manager, or you just didn't know that that was a thing, even though you'd been doing it for sounds like almost a decade, frankly. Yeah. So I think I knew it was a thing, but there were aspects to the role that I wasn't as exposed to, if okay. you will, kind of the business side of things, right? The platform I built had no revenue, but it indirectly contributed to our revenue, right? So I, I had just had less of the exposure into you know, the revenue aspects of things uh, and the business modeling and the pricing kinds of things. So I didn't think that I was a product manager uh, because of that. Right. So I really set out to add those things to my toolkit after that. Did you go and take classes? I mean, you're talking about building business acumen. Yeah, so I took some classes. I also took some classes at MIT and Harvard around, you know, dealing with difficult people and situations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which was an amazing course. It was taught by one of the, one of the uh, lead negotiators in uh, the Egypt-Israel situation back wow. in the 70s or something, where he had it literally a gun to his head. And it was a really, really eye-opening course. Um, then there was uh, another one about just negotiation skills. I felt that I needed to really hone those skills because it was pivotal to, to, to you know, growing myself as a product manager. I also studied, I read a bunch of books, I talked to other product managers a lot. That was really primarily how I learned right. things. Inside the company Inside at Lombardi? Inside the company and outside just like the company. go over and say, hey, can you tell me more about what you do all day? Yeah, yeah. And, and outside the company, because I, you know, one of the things I, I really want to make sure is that I never get stuck inside any given company, right? I want to get outside of it and, and get everyone's perspective. So I talked to a lot of product managers at the time, and uh, I decided that this is, this is what I want to do. The other aspect that really interested me is building teams, right? Getting very talented people together, connecting to great ideas and helping those people do the best work they ever could imagine doing. So it's, it's a lot of, it's kind of a servant leadership role if you think of it. You're trying to bring the best out and the people all around you where everyone's smarter than you. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, it's a theme that comes up a lot in this show exactly is product manager, the product manager role is not one for glory. So if that's what you're looking for, you know, I hate to break it to you listeners out there, that's not what it is. But it is a role for creators. You know, you talk about loving to build things. And it is a role that if you can find within yourself an ability to build and foster intimacy across different perspectives because that's the other thing right we, we all know developers see the world a specific kind of way designers mm -hmm. equally business people you know to yeah. to lump all of them into a single generic category and say business people have a way of speaking and thinking and and so it's absolutely a, a critical part of the process for sure i think that's a great point so and you're, you're kind of describing the necessity for a product manager to be able to speak in different languages and i kind of bring that back to my very first college degree where I wanted to be able to tailor my message to, to speak the language of the listener, of the recipient, 
And I think that mindset actually helped me later on because now I'm working with engineers, designers, sellers, marketers, stakeholders, executives, you know, all of them. And for all of these conversations to be able to build like a high trust relationship, you have to be able to speak their language. Right, right. So how did you get from Lombardi to IBM? So 2010, I think, around Christmas time, I looked at my phone and I saw an email from our CEO that said, hey, IBM just acquired us. Well, and to be honest, is that the subject? <laughs> yes. We've been bought by IBM. We're going to IBM. To be honest, my visceral reaction, just having really no knowledge about how IBM operates, just knowing it as a big, big brand. Right. My first reaction, honestly, was, oh, I'm going to have to find another job. Because okay. I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. And I've been a startup person all my life. You know, going into nothing and building up something from scratch was my thing. So I thought about it for the first two months. But as I started to research the company more and get to know people, I literally spent that first two months researching up and down, all across, everything. The products, three, all 3,000 of them, the people, all 400,000 of them, you know. That's your developer brain coming <laughs> that, up. By yeah, the way. probably. That's yeah. the structure piece. Yes, it's my market research. <laughs> you know, I, I came out with a understanding and a perspective that there are really great pockets of excellence in this company. And yes, there are some, there's some inertia in there as well, right? And fortright antibodies who, who resist change. And those three things, to me, painted a perfect place for a startup person to be in. Okay. Uh, because, you know, the inertia is all busy being inert. The antibodies, you can try to bring them along. Some will come, some will not. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And then the pockets of excellence. And so we had to integrate our products and our people first. And that took about a year and a half to two years. And during that phase, I became very passionate about making change. Inside of IBM? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I saw, uh, you know, so much potential. And there are ways of working that could have been much better. You know, you think about products often from a seller perspective, who's gonna buy our thing, and, and we kind of optimize our, our language around that and our ways of working. Um, or your engineering led, you have this awesome piece of tech and, and you kind of try to fit it into a solution. What we wanted to do was bring it to a more user-centric way of, of thinking about problems, finding the right problems to solve and why, uh, and then bringing down silos that were preventing that sort of radical collaboration together. Right? So one thing about you know, big companies, and by the way, this can happen in smaller companies too, uh, you just become focused on your own area of expertise. And before you know it, you have silos, wall gardens around you, and you lose the visibility into what everybody is doing. But think of the loss of serendipitous opportunity there when you have these silos. So that's what I wanted to change. You wanted to bust down all the walls I at IBM. I wanted to bust them down. Okay. And they let you. Well, I'm a They're little bit of a rule breaker, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. I have a penchant for the grassroots activism. And, you know, I think as a product manager, anyone really, it's your responsibility to look at any given rule and to question why that exists. There are good reasons for rules to exist, but certain things exist there, in my opinion, to optimize for the 0.01% of something going wrong, and you lose out on all the other great things that could be happening. Right. So, for example, I had created this platform where we enabled our folks inside the company and our users and our partners to co-create solutions together and to share their knowledge and share their solution assets together with a goal that it would help everyone get you know get their solutions out 70% faster benefit to everybody this wasn't a common practice in IBM there were rules around that and those were the very first things that I had to sort out as inhibitors when I brought this platform into the company so APM it stands for associate product manager 
program, is that yes, right? Yes, yes. And then IBM, just so you know, product managers are called offering managers. Right. Okay. Well, And this is one of those things, I'm glad you bring that up because part of the challenge, aside from all the challenges we speak about on this show and that we're speaking about, is that the product manager position exists under different euphemistic titles mm-hmm. in different organizations. Yep. So for anyone listening who wants to get into product management at IBM, you're looking for essentially a PO. Is it product offering? Uh, How do you describe uh, offering that? Offering manager. Offering, an yes. OM. Yes, an OM. Gosh. And so offerings really are the entire ecosystem. They encompass the entire thing around a given solution. Right. Right. So you have a product or service. That product or service could be either a software service or a hardware service. Mm-hmm. So just as an umbrella term, an offering is agnostic to whatever that product is. Right, because they want it to equally encapsulate in the mind a service offering or or a product offering. Can we just take a moment to, uh, I think that myself included, candidly, IBM is so big. I mean, how many employees globally do you think, approximately? Probably around 400,000. It's enormous. And... I don't think a lot of people know what IBM does. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this piece, okay, well, we know there's computers. We know there's a consulting-ish element. Can you give our listeners just like a brief cross-section into what some of these offerings really constitute under the, the umbrella that is IBM? Sure. So IBM clients are all over the world at all kinds of different sizes. And IBM is really a you know, so full service house in that you can get your IT infrastructure there. Um, you can get your analytics there. Um, you can get your cognitive solutions. So IBM talks about you know, cognitive uh, era, it talks about data as a renewable resource um, that we all have to use every day. And it's growing just mind bogglingly fast. So it basically has all of these components to build an offering or a solution for your business with every sort of vital component in them. Now, I mentioned there's something like, at last count, 3,000 or so products. Um, Those could be products that you buy that could be on-premise solutions, right? They could be SaaS products that you subscribe to. Uh, they could be hardware, they could be hardware components, they could be a combination of hardware and software. So it's, it's a very broad range of products and some of the clients that work with us work with us because there is this full suite of capabilities that they can, they can come to. Yeah, it's it's whole product solution it to the really power is. of a hundred, basically. Really is, yeah. And so, presumably then in an organization with 400,000 or so employees and 3,000 or so products, you have more than a few offering managers or product managers as, yes. as we talk <laughs> about them. So the APM program that you essentially, are, you're piloting or you launched this. I mean, you I are the it, person. Yeah. Early last year. Yeah. Early last year mm-hmm. is like an in-house training incubatory? I mean, help us to understand what are you doing? Yeah, so this isn't that different from uh, the you know, Facebook rotational PM programs or the Google APM programs. As you know, you know, Marissa Meyer, when she was at Google, she had started the Google APM product. And the premise there is that you define the, the, the type of product manager that will fit, you know, in terms of the, the capabilities that this person needs to have and from a culture fit perspective. You define what that person looks like and you apprentice them such that when you release them out in the wild, um, they can be most effective in their roles. And when you say out in the wild, in this context, you're talking about out in the wild within, within IBM. Within company, yes, yes. So the way it works is that, you know, I defined with my team you know, nothing happens in a, in a silo. I have an amazing team. We set out first to do all the market research. What are all the programs out there? Why do they exist? What are the differentiators? How do they work? How could this be different? <clears throat> and one of the things that I found uh, to be 
in a differentiator for this program is that you know oftentimes when you come into a company as a product manager that role is fairly well understood inside the company right it has a definition that everybody can understand and so you're really landing into the company where you're you're an apprentice in a well-defined role it's different in IBM because this capacity this this talent this role of a of a associate PM didn't really exist uh, so there was no shared definition for what this role does and can do right so not only are you coming in and we we apprentice you into this role but everyone around you the teams that you then land into are also learning what it means and by the way this isn't the only transformation going on in IBM there's agile transformation there's new ways of marketing how we work with marketing how we work with sellers you know there's all this change going on and so everybody around you also is adjusting to this which is different I think from many other companies I want to go back a step because what you how you described the experience of coming into an organization as a PM I think is an important point it's part of the the reason this show exists for example I could be a perfectly seasoned product manager with a specific set of experiences and a significant number of accomplishments and then walk into an organization and be a beginner again because what that organization to to build on what you were saying has defined as the product manager role is outside of what I know. Mm -hmm. And I think that works both ways, by the way, which is to say, maybe I came from a startup environment where I got to touch a lot. I was doing user experience design. I was, you know, owning the product in a scrum type of environment. And then I come into a more structured organization. So, no, 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 we have user experience right. designers. <laughs> You're not going to be doing any wireframes, like settle yeah. down. Yeah. Uh, or, or the inverse, where you are used to having a lot of collaborators and then suddenly the expectation is, well, we need you to own a bigger piece. So that's a that's a real challenge in any organization. Yeah, sure. And so you're you're talking about how do we it, can it even be streamlined in IBM? I mean if with 3000 different products isn't every vertical have its own idea of what they need to serve well? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I mentioned this this cognitive um, aspect of IBM's product and essentially comes from technologies like Watson I love Watson, by the way. Awesome. For those of you who don't know, IBM has a phenomenal constellation of APIs to really leverage in machine learning opportunities, bots. If you want to get into the neural net way of doing, get involved. It's a, there's a developer program around it, right? Yes, Watson developer yes, program. There, there is, yeah. And it's, um, you know, the, the APIs, you can use them on the, on the cloud platform that IBM has. It's um, cool so, stuff, yeah, it's, but we digress. <laughs> so context is important, right? In, in any product, you need to really understand what problems you're solving and for whom. That's not different across any other product. You know, what, what, regardless of what product you're working on, you have to start with understanding the users and the buyer's problems and to figure out what problems are worth solving from a business perspective as well. So I think there's some common things across all of the product managers, all the offering managers at IBM, that regardless of what product you're working on, you need to have. The context of the problem itself is, of course, where it's different. Sure. Right? Um, you know, there's I think a lot of talk about, and I think this is one of the problems in hiring product managers is that it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. Is I, I need a product manager, I need to hire a product manager, uh, and this is my problem domain. It's whatever, social media. Sure. And I want to be able to have this product manager you know, hit the ground running, be able to understand the problem context, lightning fast, and bring new ideas. I've seen two camps of thought here, where one is the expectation that the product manager already knows that problem domain and has, you know, vis viscerally worked with this pro product and this, these users for a long time, and then the other camp that says it doesn't matter 
what your problem domain is. As a product manager, you have to have the ability to ask the, ask the right questions, to understand the problem domain and the users, to get into their shoes. Yeah, I mean, this is such a critical point. I, I think, first of all, managing a product consultancy for as many years as, as we have, and we do end-to-end -end solutions, ha have had countless clients come in and say, we want your help conceiving, designing, and building this entirely unique thing that we want to bring to market. And can you also show us three other examples of times when you've <laughs> built this unique thing so that we can rely that you're the right partner, it, yes. right? So I think any anybody out there in, in this space of whether it's design, you know, whether it's engineering can relate to that. And you're touching on, for me, what is such an important, I, I talk about this a lot in, in the context of, of instruction and coaching. Product management is nothing if not a series of frameworks and ideas for how to think differently about things. Mm -hmm. yep. And so to your point, yeah, the context will be the context will be the context. And, and what you're trying to build up is a breadcrumb trail that says, great, I'm going to, you know, I do a, an assignment with, with students of my class where they basically come in day one, they have to figure out a problem, and then, you know, they get spit out at the end of the program with a problem that they've conceived, validated, iterated on, and, and ultimately put a design and, and roadmap and business model around, right? And I think it, it's the same thing. I say, look, if you're successful, it actually has less to do with the product that you came up with in the course, uh, in the context of the course, and everything to do with the fact that you can go through this process end to end now on your own mm -hmm. a hundred times over. Yep. And that hundred times over is actually what's going to build your skills as a PM. So these are the frameworks and then you learn the frameworks and then you assimilate it and then you assimilate it in a different context. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 perfectly true. And I think in the uh, in the associate offering management program we have we have this boot camp phase uh, where once we've hired um, the the associate offering managers in, we put them through a three month boot camp, which is a big investment, right? Three months uh, is a long time for um, your business leaders to wait for this to help. Right. And so are you deploying them into business units yes. as active PMs? Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's like an internship yes. inside an internship. It, kind of, yes. Kind of it is, yeah. So uh, the boot camp really consists of a couple of parts. There's the frameworks, as you said, what we need these folks to learn and to apply them then on real projects. Uh, that come from the business. So I work with the business unit leaders, the product leaders, to bring problems to the boot camp for the APMs to solve. And these could range from, hey, you know, our funnel sucks, we don't know really why, there's a bunch of data, but we don't know what it's telling us. And within two weeks, um, the associate offering managers will look at that data and they'll go talk to people, right, because data alone is just going to give you some patterns, some questions to ask, um, but you've got to do the, do the homework to go talk to the people, right. uh, you know, to ask the right questions so that you can actually get actionable answers. So they do these small projects and they usually last about two weeks or so. And the output of that is a new idea for the, for the, pro the sponsoring product team to implement. And it could be something as simple as, okay, so your digital funnel isn't, you know, your conversion rate is really bad. Mm -hmm. uh, but you get a lot of, you know, discoverability is not a problem, clearly, when looking at the metrics. Um, and you're, you have a healthy number of people who are trying your product, so why aren't they converting? And one output and a recommendation coming out of this could be, well, you've designed the capacity for this trial period to be so big that no one's converting because they can do all their, all their work you know, given with, for free with this capacity or whatever it may be, right? Just, right? just an example. So there are concrete things that the team can then take and implement on their short-term roadmap. And then there's a second part of it, which is kind of the incubation project phase uh, where, you know, we might, R&D might bring in a, a piece of tech and the, the work involved is a seven-week exploration of, okay, how, you know, what problems exist that we could solve with this technology, 
and it's a cross-functional team of, of the PMs, the designers, uh, the developers, and all the stakeholders and business owners working together, and out comes a, a recommendation or a point of view on where the product team needs to take this in the sort of, not short term, but slightly mid to longer term roadmap. Okay, I'm, I have 1,000 questions that I want to ask, and I'm just going to try and go one foot in front of the other here. So, so first, let me back up. It sounds like what you're suggesting is that, I guess, initially the idea would be uh, individual business units would just hire PMs as they need them. Mm-hmm. And then along comes this program, and what you're essentially advocating is that the business leaders come to your pool of talent to hire and the value that you're creating is we're going to put some standardization around the frameworks that we teach, the the ways to approach problem solving, and then you can build the context specific uh, insights by working with that person in a capacity. Mm -hmm. So you're essentially rerouting all new hires into IBM through this program, at least in a product Mm -hmm. management role. Yeah, that's the premise. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, and, and we also teach them, you know, how IBM works. Right? right. To your point about context, again, you know, every PM is different across companies. So we teach them things about, how, you know, how, how does IBM work? And these are just very concrete things. Um, you know, many of our IPMs come out of college. They may have master's degrees, you know, some advanced degree, undergrad degrees. They come from all walks of life, liberal arts to engineering to whatever. And, you know, they need a common and shared toolkit and a vocabulary. And that vocabulary often is specific to the company that you work in. Right. So they, through the project work, they also learn these things. And when they deploy to their teams at the end of the boot camp, they now go with that toolkit. Yeah. I mean, it's a significant investment on IBM's part in education, mm-hmm. yes. which is huge. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. part of you know my work in, in the product community is trying to help address some of the, the the tension or the fissures between you know on one side companies come to me all the time I'm looking for a PM you know this is it's hard to find great talent on the other hand I've got folks sending me resumes all the time mm-hmm. saying how can I get in the door how can we fix this it's part of why we've incorporated some of this conversation you know into the podcast meanwhile you're essentially opening the doors and saying not only would we love to have you here at IBM but we would love to start your career by investing in your education as a PM yeah I mean it's it's a phenomenal investment and while it's early days in terms of the program you know we've had uh, a couple of maybe two or three deployments of, of A1 classes thus far you know, we measure everything uh, maniacally, <laughs> <laughs> and there are some there are some early signs that that this is, I think, the best way to do it. Um, and the teams that receive this talent uh, are seeing real benefit, both in the short term and in terms of being able to make change. Right. So I mentioned we mentioned change several times, and the profile that I'm really looking for for people who come through this program is in a tweetable version, data-driven, user-centric entrepreneurs who want to work on making change. That's me. Basically, right. you just offered me it. <laughs> did you, we can talk about that more often. Is this, like, are you running it like a cohort? I would imagine that you have to kind of have like a hiring period where it's like, okay, all the new entrants, is that how it works? So it's a, it's a seasonal model. Okay. Uh, I mentioned that we bring in a lot of the associate offering managers that come in through the program have just graduated or they've recently graduated, right? Early career uh, professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some come with their own startups. They're running their own startups. Or some come with some intern experience in product management, you know, on places like Google and Facebook. And we bring them in twice a year to align with the university graduation season. Mm-hmm. And we start around, and it gets earlier and earlier every year, but we start around, uh, for the spring class, we, we start around February time frame. And by May, we will have selected, and it's a very small pool mm-hmm. of people that we select, and we will have selected our summer class uh, by end of May. And then again, we start up in the fall, around September time frame 
at which time we'll be hiring both for the summer and the following winter class. Right. Uh, so it's a it's a cyclical seasonal uh, program. I, I think there's opportunity though within this program to start looking at other cycles as well because as I mentioned, you know, three months is a long time to wait, and so you know, twice a year is not particularly agile. So I think there's other places where we ought to be looking for this talent, and there's more and more of these outfits that are coming up, like Product School, General Assembly, many others where there is a similar model where talent comes in and they do a project-based thing for three months uh, and then they go out in the world and find a place. So I think that will be a natural way to tap into talent and make it more frequent. Well, I mean, I think the, you know, we offer at General Assembly a, a one-week format of the product management class, for example. And I say to people who are considering it, the one-week course is essentially an accelerated version of a, of a 10-week course that, that I also teach. And I say, the one-week version is great if you're already working as a PM and you just want like a really quick hit of a bunch of stuff that you can learn, a bunch of which you'll forget because it's, it's highly compacted. But when you go back to the office come Monday, you have a place to immediately start assimilating that information. But there's no merit in jamming it all down in an accelerated timeline only to have it collect dust on the mental shelf because as we described earlier, product management is learning to think differently and then applying that into different contexts. Yeah. So what I love about the program as you're describing it is that this, this internship piece is critical because you're getting the education, you're getting the conceptual, but then you're also getting a place to assimilate it in a really real way. Mm -hmm. I mean, another thing that, that gets brought up a lot on the show from guests when you say, what advice do you have for someone looking to get a job? Would well, do some side projects. Yeah, I absolutely. mean, this is a side project absolutely. with cachet. I mean, mm -hmm. it's IBM. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, so I learned product management on the job. People come at it from, from all kinds of different ways. But I think fundamentally, you're always having to learn things. And unless you're applying them as you learn them, they're not as likely to stick. And that's what I kind of love about the project-based learning, uh, because it has the highest return and the, and the highest retention rate. When you go out and you deploy to your teams, you've already done that work on real projects. Right. And, and there's a variety of products too, going back to our mention about the different products and the different problem domains. You get a really good taste of the different problem domains and what kinds of things users are struggling out there and why. Do you, when you have, um, is students the right word? I mean, what do you describe your, your members of your class? Awesome people. <laughs> <laughs> do, your, do you help, as, as part of the program, do you help each awesome person deploy into a business unit that you think might be a good match for their skill set? So there's also kind of a mentoring, you know, matchmaking piece that's, that's really important. Yes. Can you talk about that a little? I think you put your finger on the toughest part of the job. In order to make the best matchmaking, if you will, of the associate offering manager and the receiving teams. Not only do you need to understand that associate offering manager well, and in, and there's ways in which we do it before boot camp and during boot camp. We we create these things called we'll call them baseball cards or profile cards, which really uh, paint a very sort of deep understanding of who this person is, what motivates them, where do they come from, what do they have in the toolkit. How do they rank on the different dimensions of a product manager role today right. to give them a, a baseline? And I use that same thing to go to the receiving teams uh, to do the matchmaking process with them. And I also need to understand from the business perspective, from the product context perspective, where's that product now? Is it a new product? Is it on-prem? Is it SaaS? Is it both? Uh, what's your roadmap look like? What What is the biggest need in terms of the capacity. Maybe you're getting more into SaaS and you don't have that experience yet or you don't have enough capacity on your team to do that. Maybe that's where I can help you. So it's a very deep conversation that happens before we hire the associate OMs and then at the time when we start matching them to their uh, receiving teams. And then after that, we go back. I, measured, uh, I mentioned measuring f fanatically. Um, we go back 
few months, three months, six months after these associate OMs have been on their teams and we do another review of, okay, how's this helping, how's it not helping, all those kinds of things. Right, yeah, because I mean, it, the I guess the thing that it brings to the mind is the feedback loop, which mm -hmm. as we know as product managers is such an important part of the process and yet it's interesting how often we don't ourselves or we can't readily get feedback certainly in the context of, of hiring or trying to get a job or in the context of how am I doing and, and you know this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart especially because we're, we all have our sort of special blend of skills mm -hmm. right and you know product managers are great generalists and then there tends to be two or three areas where we find oh this is my what I like to do this yeah. is how I like to to, to create impact and so knowing that about yourself and then being able to represent that well is so important as a person going out to look for a new career and I think more companies need to get dialed into what kind of PM do we want because more than just the job description the right PM is going to change as you said depending on the adoption life cycle depending on so many other variables as well yeah it's an exciting program it is yeah and you know that there is a time and place for the the different types of pms that we have right you wouldn't hire a, a growth hacker a pm necessarily when you're just starting up your program right um, so i think one underlying theme that we have uh, with our product managers that we hire is that they are change makers they are change agents and we bring them in as such i mentioned earlier that the change isn't just happening for the role itself, but it's all the different roles are changing and adjusting and adapting to what's going on in the market and the ways in which we need to work. So that resiliency has to be there when you come in. And it's what I like to call an immutable quality. You know, there are immutable qualities about a person and there are mutable qualities. Things that you can teach, things that are really hard to teach. So when we assess the candidates who come into this program, we assess them on those two kinds of things. If you can teach it, great. What you're looking for is an intelligent person who can learn and who wants to learn. Uh, but certain aspects of it are very easy, uh, very hard to teach. Um, you know, you can teach them, but it takes time. So those qualities do have to exist. And one of the qualities is being able to, and in fact, preferring uh, to be in a situation where you have to do a lot of context switching, right? You're zooming in and out of things, and you like to think big, but you also like to dive deep. Yeah. You know, you like to do research, but then you're also biased for action, right? These are kind of almost opposing things, and you have to be able to seamlessly deploy them when it's the right thing to do. Yeah, it's 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 a pendulum swing. It is. And it, people get stuck mm -hmm. in one side or the other. I mean, most of the time it's in the tactical. I think that's, I, I always enjoy this. Whenever I teach road mapping in particular, you can really see that most of our internal thermostats are set at the tactical level. <laughs> Once you get down to like an epic or a project, everyone comes alive. Yeah. You ask somebody to establish an OKR for a product for the next five years, and it's like, I don't know how to, to think big. So yeah. that is a big part of the journey is swinging toward that longer term, that more strategic mindset, and then not getting too comfortable yeah. there either. And you know, it's tough. it's tough to assess people on being able to come up with a vision. How do you come up with a vision? Like, how do you test that? Right. right. So it is all about um, the methodology um, that we've developed to really bring that out in our candidates. What's the ideal outcome for anybody who comes through the program? Like, how do you sort of sell them on, this is gonna be good for you because? I mean, I see why there's value, but maybe I'm already past the target demo in this case. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that has personally driven me to do this um, and dedicate a year and a half of my life into this program, as opposed to working on a product, uh, like a traditional product, is the impact that you can have, right? It's far, far greater than working on a single product because you have that element of making change. And so I know just from talking to the associate offering managers who come through the program and who have been candidates that they feel 
that one of the biggest differentiators of this program is, in fact, that it has that change agency component. You're not landing into a well-defined thing uh, where everyone expects you to behave a certain way and do certain things. You are apprenticing with a company that is changing, and that's exciting to them. So, and other aspects of just the brand itself, right? IBM, you know, opens doors, obviously, and and you know, huge global customers, and and it's easier, perhaps, as a product manager to engage in you know explorations about offerings, uh, solutions that you can give to clients, um, you know, compared to if you were a startup, right? Yeah. You can't just it's not easy to knock on every door. Well, if that ever fails to resonate, you could always just say, nobody ever got fired for hiring an IBM APM. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> All right. You've, you've talked, a, I mean, you, essentially you've uh, pivoted your entire career in service of helping people to get the job, learn the job, love the job, which is, um, as you may know, a segment that I like to do here. So I want to ask you to zoom out from beyond just the context of the program. And what can you say to folks that are listening in that might be looking to get into product management or get that next opportunity? What advice would you, Lisa, give to that person for how to get the job? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I think, you know, I've, I'm not going to say anything earth shatteringly new here, but I think look at why you want to do it in the first place as you mentioned it's not the most glamorous easy job to do at times you have to be prepared to be misunderstood for long periods of time you have to make hard trade-offs you're going to piss people off in certain scenarios so you have to really want to do that and one of the reasons i've heard people say wanting to get into product management they've been in engineering or pre-sales or design or wherever is the ability to uh, work on the bigger picture. Right? So first decide if that is one of the things that you want to do. Because yes, there'll be execution, right? Every great product manager is also a great project manager. And they'll be negotiating in difficult situations with difficult people and, and all the things that go with it. And there'll be leadership uh, aspects to it. You, you are in, in charge of, of, of people and their careers and they don't report directly to you in most cases. So I think understand your motivation first. Go back to when you were five years old. What could you not stop doing? I like to ask that question, and it's a question that I ask myself. The second thing is figure out a, an idea. Come up with an idea. Observe things around you. Like when I walk downtown in Chicago, you know, I'm looking up at the skies and all around me, and I'm, I'm imagining, you know, 10 years from now, it's going to look completely different. It's going to sound completely different. Just go out there, open your senses, come up with an idea, bring a couple of buddies with you, and go build a thing. Test it out. See what happens. That's really the entrepreneurship and the, and the making of it that you need to be excited about. What about hard lessons learned on the job, either drawing from mistakes that you've personally made or just places where you see folks get stuck? Yep, so I think you know many of us have this innate desire to get things done and, and do the best we can and not always ask for help or always raise the flag. Um, so for me, certainly, this is the hard lesson that I've learned is that when I uh, came up against a problem that was really hard to solve, I went into all kinds of personal heroics to do it when I should have actually raised the flag especially with the stakeholders and articulated the problem and asked for that help. Uh, I think that's one of the key lessons in communicate early, over communicate, and make sure that there's visibility into what's going on and don't always count on yourself to do all the personal heroics, right? So what's your favorite thing about being a product manager? I mean, some guy stopped by your desk one day and said, I think this would be good for you. You've spent the last number of years doing this, what do you love about it? Why, he was right, obviously. I just, you know, I just love finding problems that people have, like real problems that will make their lives easier, and it's in small ways, it's in big ways. I just love doing that, the act of it, and I love working with other people who are, you know, smarter than me, 
they have you know expertise in areas where I don't have it and so I can learn from them hopefully they'll learn something from me and then coming up with a solution I mentioned I'm a maker by heart and it, that's never going away I'm always going to be a maker at heart you know whatever we call it 10 years or 100 years from now that's still essentially what I want to be doing. What about uh, recommended resources? Um, we have a, a growing list of resources on our website, 100productmanagers.com slash resources. Any books, blogs, podcasts that you would like to invite our audience to participate in? Yeah, so inside of the Associate Offering Manager program, we keep a list a current list of all the cool resources that we found and we give those to our AOMs as homework. Okay. Uh, even before they come to the boot camp. Oh wow. Um, and afterwards. So, you know, one of the things that I recently added was this podcast. Oh! Fact, um, 100 p.m. You... is 8 p.m. approved? <laughs> yes! So I, I, and I think I found you on a LinkedIn post or maybe I was doing some research, you know, updating the list. I uh, came across it, listened to a couple of episodes, and I thought, this is, this is great. These are kind of perfect, long, longer format stories about people's you know, path to product um, and the whys and the wherefores, and, and I found that to be really interesting. Uh, I love that. I'm so honored. Thank you. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. And then, uh, and by the way, you should, you should interview some of our AOMs at some point. They'll tell you great stories, I'm sure. And other things like NPR Freakonomics. I, I love that show. You know, you never quite know what you're getting, but it's just, it's, the point is to kind of go outside of your, your, your day-to-day and, and look for stories from, from people from quarters on, on problems that you weren't necessarily thinking about. One book that I read, it might be a little bit of a slog, but um, it's a book called Measuring, How to Measure Everything. I'm now forgetting the author's name. Okay. But the, the essential premise is that, yes, you can measure everything, and here's how you do it. Okay, that's great. We'll, we'll put those on the list for sure. You've probably already seeded this answer a dozen times, you know, in this very rich conversation we've had. Um, but I do want to know, is there a side of the mug quote that you embrace in your personal or professional life that you want to leave us with as kind of like an inspiration for how you like to be? Wow. No pressure. <laughs> Just make sure that it's brilliant, succinct, right, and memorable. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. What do I want in my coffee cup? Okay. I'll say this. Change is my modern steady state. Lisa Dyer, thank you so much for being a part of this show. If you're interested in learning more about this program, we'll be sure to put the information up in the show notes at 100productmanagers.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to 100 PM, the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you enjoyed the show, please help us get discovered by leaving a five-star rating and review right from your podcast app. Our mission is to help you excel at product management. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great free resources to help you on your path, including all of the recommendations from our fabulous guests week over week. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. We'll be back next week with an all new episode.